0: While the kids be dismissed for the junior church, let's have a word of prayer together and ask the Lord just to give us a wonderful time in the word of God. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the blessings of this past week to be able to do our jobs, to be able to be with family, to be with friends, to be able to enjoy your answered prayers, to be able to enjoy just the nature of this time of the season, to be able to enjoy foods and and different types of entertainments. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity for some to be able to go to school, for be able for some to even get out and do other things. Thank you for the many freedoms that we have, and we thank you for the blessings that you give us physically. But Lord, we're coming before you, and we need your help to just be appreciative of the blessings that you've given us in other ways. You've given us blessings to be able to read, to be able to think, to be able to be compassionate, to be able to feel the pain of others to be able to visit those in need, to call, to encourage. You've given us the opportunities this past week to be able to minister by sharing your word, by reading it, praying for others, supporting some of the different missionaries through our prayers and through financial gifts that have opened up avenues and doors for the gospel where a number of folk have gotten saved in foreign lands this week. We thank you for the blessings that you've given us and you're having your word to be able to have friends that are Christian that can encourage us to have songs that help us to focus our mind upon your blessings of the Christmas season and even on other times of the year. Thank you for the opportunity you gave us to be able to have freedoms and to be able to do things because you've given us the opportunity to live in this day and this age and this land. And we do pray for our country. We pray for a revival to sweep across. To, but we know for that to happen, it has to happen in our own hearts first. So deal with us. Work with us. Help us to be close to you. Father, we do pray for some with special needs. We ask that you would encourage them. They aren't going through the same joyous time that a lot of us here are enjoying. They're in some serious difficulties and trials and troubles. So we ask that you would help out the Wolf family. We ask that you would help out the Newton family. We ask that you would as well help out the mans as they're dealing with her cancer as well. We ask, Father, that you would encourage some of the others who have had some ailments and illnesses and surgeries that took place this week. <clears throat> we pray for Wendy to recover from hers, for Sherry to recover from her surgery as well. We ask that you would help these ladies and others to have a speedy, uneventful uh, type of a recovery. Father, we pray as well that you would please bless the gospel that's going out in foreign lands and even in our own community help what we've shared with gospel tracts and with conversations, the foodstuffs and the items that are being purchased and distributed in some of these foreign lands where there is famine and there is absolute hunger going on because of the COVID situation. We pray that you'd use these packages that we've purchased with the gospel included that it would have impact. And thank you for the many that got saved in these last couple of weeks, even in the Imam's son where he came to know Christ. Father, I pray that you would help in areas. We pray for the country of Georgia where they're really getting hammered. And as Micah has shared, that he really, we, they need a lot of prayer. A lot of the pastors and a lot of the church leaders are sick. So we ask that you would encourage them, help them. Father, thank you for your word. And we're coming to a story this morning that's very, very familiar. We're coming to a passage that, that a lot of us could tell it by heart, we can do a better job than I could. And I pray that you would help us to learn something from it, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be uplifted, and help us, Father, to just understand and to uh, and to appreciate your grace and your goodness that's shown in this text. Thank you for that fullness of grace that came in the flesh. And I pray that you would help us to portray that and to uh, talk about it and to promote that Christ. Thank you for this holiday season where we can just reflect on his Coming, his incarnation, help it to be an encouraging time to each and every one of us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. fits so well with what we want to be talking about this morning. Take your Bibles. Let's head over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. My, my, my. I couldn't, couldn't have picked a better song to go with what we were talking about. Uh, we're doing a series. that's called The Seven say- Scenes of Christmas. And so what we want to talk about is one of those scenes in Luke chapter 1. Any of you ever see this before? Not this one, but something like this. What is it? It's tumbleweed. We have never, in all the time that we've been here, I have never seen tumbleweed blowing across the front of our property. And I mean, it was so much that you can't quite see it, but you get a little glimpse. It was underneath the cars, the dumpster we filled it. One of our neighbors even called and said, your tumbleweed is blowing over to our yard. And <laughs> we don't race tumbleweed here if you're uh, interested, but we've had a lot of it this week coming across the field. I was surprised by that and there 's lots of things that surprise us sometimes tumbleweed comes as a surprise. sometimes other things you know, show up that can kind of surprise us as well i 'm locked out of the system guys you got to help me advance for some reason um, there 's a story that i that I remember that a young couple. They were surprised when what happened is they got married. That wasn't the surprise. They got married. But on the day of their wedding, one of their parents showed up. And the parents said, here, and gave them keys to a brand new car as a wedding gift. Oh, they were surprised because they were were planning, you know, we couldn't buy a car. We were just going to run a beater. And so they got this brand new car. They were more surprised the month later when they got the first bill. Mom and dad didn't pay a cent for it. They just arranged that this couple got a new car that they had to pay for. That was a surprise. When I was in college, one guy got a really pleasant surprise. He was in class, and he got a note that he had to report to the office. And what had happened is their church, the smaller church they were in in Minnesota, uh, his family had gotten saved and were in that church, and they were enjoying it. And there was an elderly gentleman in the church that just took a real liking to their family. And this young man who was in school with me, I don't know if, what year he was compared to me, but he was the only boy in the family who was headed for ministry, And that older man had passed away, and the older man in the will left it that he would pay for that young man's entire college and seminary training. Nobody ever surprised me with something like that. (laughs) It would have been fun. The Word of God is filled with God surprising us sometimes, with all different types of stuff. You go to stories in Scripture, and God is surprising people time and time again. Like this, when the people were thinking, there's too little, we can't do anything, can't feed the crowds, God surprised them. And multiplied the fish into feeding the thousands. When all of a sudden the people thought, you know, it's all over. They're on the boat. We're going to die. Jesus surprised them. Here he comes walking on the water and rescues them. The surprise that shows up with the disciples and Mary Martha, they're thinking it's too late. Jesus should have come right away. He's delayed. You know, we think he should show up. And he delays. And when he delays, it works out even better. Surprise. There's what happened to some peoples is they were thinking it's all over. It's too late. Nothing can be done. Our daughter is dead. Surprise, Jesus shows up and raises the daughter from the dead. Amazing. The Jews in the Old Testament, there they are, the deserts behind them, the mountains on the side of them, and the Red Sea in front of them, and here comes Pharaoh's army going to kill them. And surprise, God rescues them by opening up the Red Sea, and that's only the beginning of what God does with surprising them. The word of God is filled with lots of surprises. In Luke chapter 1, there's a surprise that shows up for two ladies. Two ladies in this entire chapter. They become the centerpiece of Luke chapter 1. Their are stories where they're surprise. One lady, she couldn't get pregnant. Surprise, it's a boy. And the other lady who we're going to talk about, one this morning and one this evening, the other one, she shouldn't get pregnant. She was too young. She wasn't married. Surprise, it's a boy so we're going to talk about those miracle surprises. And so we're in the first part of Luke this morning, and beginning with it, we're going to be talking about the parents of John the Baptist. You know who John the Baptist is, right? Okay, John the Baptist is the one who's very involved in the ministry of Jesus. He's the forerunner. He's the one who was predicted to come before. He is six months arriving ahead of Jesus in age. His parents are going to get the message that you're going to have the miracle baby called John. You're going to name him John. That's six months before Mary is visited and told she's going to have the miracle baby of Jesus. John is mentioned in the Old Testament. He is is said to be the forerunner of Jesus. In fact, the very last message of the Old Testament is 400 years before Luke chapter 1. That last message is written in in the book called Malachi. And in Malachi, Malachi makes a prediction about John the Baptist. In Malachi, he says, I will send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. That happens, closes out the book saying when Christ comes, you know, the son of righteousness with healings. Right before them, I'm going to send one like an Elijah. This is referring to John the Baptist coming as the precursor, the messenger. And now, 400 years later, after that book closes with that prediction, all of a sudden we come into Luke chapter 1... And God speaks about that messenger coming. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story, but we're going to read it in a second, and we're going to have to ask ourselves what lessons stand out. There's a lot of them. There are tremendous lessons. There's lessons about the Lord, about people, about all kinds of things that we'll mention some of those. But since I'm speaking and I have the opportunity, I'm going to focus on the lesson that, to me, was the most challenging and encouraging, and it's simply this. The singular lesson is God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And it's going to be seen in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. Join me as we read. You follow along. I'm in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the time of the incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the Spirit and before Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife, well stricken in years. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God and sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias. And marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself for five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me and took away my reproach among men. Go to verse 57, please. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name, And they made signs to his father, how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all of them, and his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came, on all that dwelt round about. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. What a wonderful story. An amazing story. And as you go through it, what you're going to see is God uses ordinary people who are, first of all, faithful, not flawless. In other words, God uses faithful people who aren't perfect, just like you and me. And we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we find out that they really were faithful. We saw that back when we read, all the way jumped down to verse 5 of chapter 1, that they are righteous, that they walk before the Lord in all the commandments, and they were very faithful despite the corrupt surroundings. At the very beginning of what we had looked at, we found out that they lived in the time of Herod. Herod was just one of those wicked, wicked rulers. And we have no idea about wicked rulers, do we? Okay, Herod was one of them that was a horrible ruler, was an awful ruler. Now he did a lot of accomplishments, he built a lot of things, but on a personal level, this guy was just, he he was just an awful, horrible influence upon society as a whole. Um, He ruled over the Jews as the king of the Jews and a very wicked man, but he wasn't Jewish. What he had done is he married into the family, he married into into the, um, the nobility of the Jewish crowd so that he could claim that his wife was related to royal blood, therefore he could claim the throne. And as a result, he became the king of the Jews and over this region, and he ministered working with the Romans, siding with them, whom we all know the Jews hated, they despised. And so it was a very tyrannical type of a rule. Heavy taxations, um, a lot of injustices under Herod, to the point that the people were all of a being influenced the same way. And he ruled a long time. He was one of those paranoid rulers that even though he did a lot of good, man, he was just, he just created a lot of corruption throughout the land. In fact, he killed off a lot of people that he felt threatened by. His father-in-law, he killed him. Several of his wives, he killed them. He even killed two of his boys because he thought they were trying to get the throne. And so this corruptness kind of filtered down into the government of, this, of that whole society even filtered into like the priesthood, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they started having the same corruption and, and going after wealth. They started having the same injustices so that the people of the land, they're basically people who have no shepherd, Jesus said. Nobody taking care of them. And so they're living in a time that it's a very corrupt situation, a very uh, despondent, you know, depressing type of an area that they're living in, and yet they serve the Lord. They served the Lord besides not only the corruption in society, but their common status. These weren't people, Zach and Ryan Elizabeth. We get the idea that somehow these Bible characters, they were way up here and were living here. They don't understand what life is like. These two sure did. They lived right in the same plane we live. They were very common. Though they were of the tribe of Levi, they weren't outstanding individuals in that priesthood order. They were one of many. In fact, the, the job that Eli, that uh, Zacharias has there's about ten twenty thousand other priests who have that same type of job who would come and work in the temple. There was only a small group of priests that were considered the upper class of priests, the upper echelon. those people lived in Jerusalem. All the common priests who would come and travel annually to do their service, they lived outside. And if you look at chapter 1, verses 39 and 40, you will see that Zachariah and Elizabeth do not live in Jerusalem. They live probably in Hebron. They live in the hill country. That's where Mary goes to see them. So it gives us very clear indication. They aren't of the upper echelon of the priesthood. They're commoners. They're like you. They're like me. There are individuals who live in a corrupt society. There are individuals who were very faithful to the Lord, even though they had a continuing sadness in their life. We already read about it. There are an individual, there are a couple who are elderly, that they're old. How old, I don't know. But I found something interesting. There's one writer who does a lot of study on Jewish writings and Jewish history, and he suggests from his study that there's a pattern that takes place in Jewish writing of that day that gives us an indication of people's ages, that certain phrases went with certain decades of life. He suggests this. He suggests that those who are in their 60s, the phrases were often used like this. They were commencing old age. They were entering into old age. I take great heart in that. Okay. That, that's a certain level. And then he says when they're in their 70s, they're frequently described as gray-headed or white-haired, hoary-headed. And then he says when they're in their 80s, frequently the phrase that is used is, well-stricken in years. Which one was used for Zacharias and Elizabeth? Well, stricken in years. It's mentioned twice in this text that we already read. So if that is true, then we're talking about this couple being in their 80s. And over these decades, they have wanted to have children, at least a child. They have prayed for it. The angel says your prayers have been, ha- been answered. But month after month, year after year, decade after decade, nothing Now, for some of you who have experienced it, some of you watching, some of you here, you may have experienced something like this, that it's involuntary barrenness. It's not something you chose. You didn't want that. And you know the disappointment that this couple had. You understand how difficult that has been. And so here they are, decade after decade, that God has not answered their prayer, that they're living in a society that isn't really turning to God. It's turning further away from him. They live in a, in a situation where in their old age, nothing, you know, they haven't had all the blessings and they've been faithful. They haven't gotten angry with the Lord. They haven't turned against the Lord. Nor have they said, God, you aren't treating me right because I have been faithful. And still you don't answer my prayer. Typically, we would want to read this text. This older couple who has been faithful, you know, that they had everything they wanted and it's not the case. Not when we open up the story. When we open up the story, they are faithful and they've been serving, but they're going through some difficult times, just like you. Just like you. And God uses them in an amazing way. And I want to add this idea, just so you understand, childlessness back in those days was bad. I know some of you have gone through this where, you know, you say you've been married for a period of time and you get these comments like, when are you going to make me a grandma? And you want to smack them, okay? Okay. You say, just back off. Well, in that day, it would be much worse, much harder. You see, back in that day, they said children were a heritage of the Lord, which is true. But then what happened is the Jewish teachers in the Jewish culture would say, if you don't have children, if you don't have them, that means you're not blessed of God. You're judged by God. Something's wrong with you. Something's evil. In fact, the Jewish rabbis wrote this. They had a writing that said seven people who will be excommunicated from God. And then they listed it out. Now this means seven people who are not going to be allowed into the kingdom of God. Who are they? A Jewish man who has no wife. A Jew who has a wife but who has no child. Ooh, those are harsh words. Can you imagine me standing up and saying, God's damning you if you don't have a dozen kids. You know, know, you're against the Lord and you're not going to get into heaven. You can understand why now so many of the Jewish people felt as if they had no shepherd. They were getting beaten up, beaten down. Can you imagine why Zacharias and Elizabeth, imagine when they went to the temple, how anxious they were to hear that message? And then on top of it, Jewish writers, you know, that day said this, if your wife is barren, you have legitimate grounds for divorce. So in that culture, her barrenness was really, really hard for them. It was a difficult time. They're common people. They aren't people who are blessed abundantly. They are people going through the same difficulties of life you are. And yet they're remaining faithful. They're faithful to the Lord. That doesn't mean they're flawless. They aren't perfect. They're like you. They're faithful in difficult times, but they struggled. The struggle is seen in this story in the fact that it's involving his job. When he goes to work, he's one of those many priests. And what they had is they had ten to 20,000 priests who many of them lived outside the city, to get them all involved like they were supposed to, they set up a system. And he mentions that in order, by course, when he's describing it in these first few verses of Luke 1. That Zacharias, in his order, that meant that what they did is they would divide the priest down, they would come for a week of service two times a year. And those priests would come from out to, out of town. They would work. They would do janitorial work. They would run the pay, printing presses. They would do the cleaning. They would do the work for the teachers. The aristocracy of the priesthood would give them jobs to do to help you know, maintain you know, the classroom setting and do all kinds of variety of different different things. Some of them were allowed to help in the temple, even in the temple proper. Do you remember how the temple is set up? Here's the court where all the Jewish men are. Uh, The foyer would be the court of the ladies, the Jewish ladies and kids. The parking lot would be the court of the Gentiles. And so we'd come together, and some priests would have to enter into the first part of that holy place. Not the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies would be deeper in, and only one person could enter that. Who was it? The high priest, got it. Okay. But before that, others had to go in and to do ministration is what it's used in this text. They would have, they would draw lots. And you could be chosen to be one of those priests who could go into the holy place, and then you might take care of the candelabra, you might take care of the table of showbread, you might take care of the altar of incense. Somebody had to get rid of the coals. Somebody had to replace the candles, the oils. Somebody had to replace the breads after a period of time. And so they would draw lots. And what would happen is if your name was drawn... To be able to go into that spot and to serve, that's it. You're drawn once in your lifetime. And in this story, Zachariah's name is drawn when he is in his 80s at this particular moment. He's served in capacities all these years, all these decades. He's been faithful on his two different weeks of the year coming in and serving. But this time, his name is drawn and he enters into the holy place. Now, what they would do is they would do a morning ceremony and an evening ceremony, opening and closing. And it would start off in the, in the morning and it would close in the evening with the same type of ritual. Priests would come and they would, they would do the certain things. They would offer two lambs. They would offer a grain offering. They would have a drink offering. Then three priests would enter the Holy of Holies. One would take care of the candelabras. One of them would take care of the showbread. One of them would then pour the incense frankincense on the altar of incense and that would represent prayers going up to heaven. Now that would only happen after the other two did their jobs. They would do their thing, they would exit and there'd be one priest left inside. That priest would go to the altar of incense, pour the frankincense on, smoke would go up representing all of our prayers to you. You're all out here. You're the people who are in the courtyards. We're united in prayer. And this one man is representing, showing, you know, God, I'm praying on behalf of all these people. Then he would exit, he would pronounce a blessing, and the day would begin or the day is over. It is at that moment that Zacharias is inside this holy place. And at this moment when he's all by himself and he pours the incense on, all of a sudden, hello, there's an angel. And this angel appears to him, and as you notice the story, he says he remembers, years later, exactly where the angel was. Has there ever been an event in your life that you remember where you were at the moment of that particular thing? Some of you can remember the moment, some of you don't, don't, you know, this is predating, some of you remember 9-11. The exact moment. Now, I'm going to really date myself. I was in first grade, but I remember exactly where I was when the radio announced Kennedy was shot. You remember those things. Now, here's Zacharias. Zacharias is years later re- recounting it to Luke, as, we read, as you would read in the first four verses of the book. And he's saying, I remember exactly where the angel was. It, it just impacted me. He was at the, right there, standing right next to that altar. He appeared. And the angel appears to him, and his response, as we already read, he's troubled. It says that his fear fell upon him. Well, I guess so. There's been nothing from heaven for how many years? 400 years of silence. And you're the first one to get a message. And, and what was the typical response of people when they saw angels anyway? In the Old Testament, some of them fell down as if they were dead. They would, they would literally pass out. So here he is. He's there. He's, his reaction is he hears it. And the angel start speaking to him. The angel gives them the message from God, and basically it says this. It says, your wife's going to have a baby. That would have been another shock. Okay, your wife's going to have a baby. You're going to call him John. He's going to be great in the sight of God. He's going to follow the Nazarite vows that you can study and talk about in the uh, Wilderness Wandering series. Pastor Art's dealt with a lot of that. He's going to be filled with the Spirit, and he's going to be the precursor to Messiah. Oops. Last message given 400 years ago, Malachi. And this one is going to head up revivals amongst the Jews. Zechariah is troubled. He is just beside himself. And it says that that even though, and I'm not trying to be silly, but it's still there. Even though he's shocked by all this and he's troubled, look at verse 18. He has sense enough to be careful what he says. Look at verse 18. Whereby shall I know this? I'm an old man. What does he say about his wife? Is he a little bit more tactful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's smart enough to not say she's an old lady, okay? He just says she's well stricken in years, okay? So he's, he's careful enough at that moment that all of a sudden this happens and he's retaining some sense. But then the angel speaks to him and get the gist of what it is. He says, when he says that comment, he says, whereby shall I know this? We, we aren't there. We don't know the intonation. We don't know exactly what's going on or what's all meant. It doesn't give us all the details. But we do know that from the angel's response in verse 20, that his, his words implied and suggested and basically revealed he didn't believe it. He didn't believe it. He doubted it. And basically, whereby shall I know this? It is a Jewish euphemism basically saying, give me a sign. Give me a sign. Give me some proof that what you're saying is true. And he's going to be rebuked for it. In fact, you all know what the rebuke rebu- is. It's a form of discipline. Punishment. What happens to him? He can't, he can't speak. Okay. Go further in the text. Go all the way. I think it's verse 61. Um, let me see if I'm saying... It. Yeah. Go to verse 62. What is the other possibility that goes along with it? Name. No. What do they have to do in verse 62? Okay, they're giving sign language, which implies what? Yet he lost his hearing as well. Okay, it doesn't say it, but it's surely implying this passage that not only did he lose his ability to speak, but he also went deaf. And so here it happens as a form. And also when the angel responds in the, the way it's phrased in the, in the original, it's like, I am Gabriel. It is very emphatic. The idea is, hey, listen, you, you, you're doubting me? You're questioning me? I'm an angel. You guys haven't seen one for 400 years, and you're not going to believe this? Okay, and so he's, he's right away, he's, he's into this point. Now, before I go any further, can I make just two observations? Just two quick observations. Number one is this. We should believe in what we're praying for. Has this ever happened to you? you know, 're praying God, give me a job, give me a job. whoa, I found a job okay or or you, know, uh, you know, 're praying for somebody you know to get saved, and then it 's like they really did not they got saved you 've been praying for it, you know Zachariah and Elizabeth have been praying for it, praying for it, and the implication is that they 've been praying for it, not just in the past, but they 're still praying for it, okay now that has nothing to do with the baby. But in light of what he says, where he says, give me a sign, give me a sign, can I make this suggestion? Be careful what you ask for. There are times when we ask for something from the Lord, we ought to be careful. The Lord may give us what we're asking for, and we might not like it. So being led by the Spirit, being controlled, being very sensitive is critical. In this, in these matters, but as we go through the story, the angel leaves. Zacharias, you know, the people are wondering what is going on. What is he doing in there? That, you know, the time is going by, and when he finally comes out, I kind of picture this. Maybe I'm silly with it, but I picture an 80-year-old man that's probably white, not in garment, but he's probably flushed. He's probably, you know, very upset. He's trying to communicate. I mean, seriously, can you imagine me trying to communicate? Of all of a sudden, I, Okay. So there he is, he's at that moment, he's not able to speak, and he's making signs, and it's clear enough they figure out some vision, something happened inside. And he's not able to finish out his job with the blessings, but he's able to wrap up and he leaves after the week of ministration. And so with that, let's just let's just pause for a second. Let's remind ourselves that what we have just seen is a faithful servant who's flawed, and still God uses him. He's flawed because what happens is he looks at his own limitations. He forgets that God has done this baby thing in the past. It's not a big thing for God to have old people have babies. It's happened before. He's, he's forgot for a second. He's talking to an angel. This is somebody from heaven who's telling him about what God can do. But he responds the way we respond at times. Where we say, well, God can't use me. I'm not this. I'm not that. God, you know, what can God do? I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not talented. I don't speak well. I'm not smart. I don't have much money. We give those excuses to God, and yet the story stands out and says, "Now wait a minute." Even though you might struggle, even though you're not all this stuff, God uses these types of people, ordinary people who aren't really talented, who may not speak well, who might be too young or too old in the sight of others, who may not be that smart in the sight of others, who may not have that much money, but God uses you, and aren't you glad he does? And so the story stands out. It says God uses ordinary people who are faithful, flawed, but faithful. And so I look at that and I say okay it also teaches me this God uses ordinary people who learn to follow God's word without hesitation let's just go jump to verse 57 in verse 57 now, we advance and we find out that, okay, what happened is Zachariah turns, returns home. Zachariah does his part. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And as a result, here he is now back at the ranch. There they are, back in the hill country. And we pick up their story. Now, in the meantime, of this nine months of pregnancy, think of how easy it has been. Okay? She's 80 and she's going to pregnancy for the first time. Number one, and now she has a handicapped husband. Can you imagine not being able to speak for nine months? Some of you are praying right now <laughs> be careful what you ask for. Okay. If I couldn't speak, it would change my life drastically. I'd be done. I, my career is changed. Okay. My wife is at peace, okay <laughs> Life is dread. My uncle a year ago, I asked you to pray for him. He suffered a stroke. He went blind. Some of his sight has come back, but just yesterday, I was talking to my dad last evening and I asked how 's Denny doing, and he said, "You know that stroke changed their life completely he you know, 's he's, he's very limited what he can see. She had to quit her job to provide total care. He was a woodworker. Yeah, he would lose every finger now. He was, he was a hobby guy who loved to just do puttering around. Can't do any of that. Their life changed. Can you imagine Elizabeth and Zachariah at this point? And it's a daily reminder to him, obey God. I should have, I should have taken God at his word. Every day, can you imagine how many times he said, I wish I had... And so there they are, they're doing this, they're going through the routine, and all of a sudden, verse 57, now we're we're nine months later, and here comes the baby. And the baby arrives. It's a boy, just like God said, and you know the story, the relatives who are all gathered say, we're going to call him Zacharias, and the reason that they do that is, Jewish culture, you name the boy after the father, or some ancestor of notability. And so on the eighth day, when they're ready to circumcise and name the baby, the crowd say, Let's call him. Let's call him Zacharias in honor of his dad. And Elizabeth, who somehow was in communication with her husband, probably the writing, he had told her and her, her initial response is, no, 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 no. His name needs to be... Okay. She's right away. There is no hesitancy this time. There is no doubt they have learned at 80 years of age... When the angel said, name this baby John, we're going to name this baby John. Okay? We're not going to go through that again. Okay? We've learned. By the way, can people still be learning at 80 years of age? Yes. And should we? We better be. We better be. Because God uses people who learn how to obey without hesitation. And we all need that that lesson, day after day, to just keep on. And so they wonder why, and you remember the story, they say, Zacharias, what do you think? Your wife's kind of gone, you know, she's calling him John, we don't understand. And he writes down and probably puts a couple, you know, I don't know what the text things would be, he'd be using, but it's John, 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 that's it. And they call it baby John. They have learned very quickly, okay, that they have to learn, and they've learned that they do not hesitate at all. That what God says, we believe What God says, we behave. Even though they've been faithful, they still knew knew there was room for growth. So I I pause and I ask myself this question. What lessons has God been trying to bring in my life during COVID? During, During serious times, difficult moments. What might God be trying to teach me, teach you? Even though we're growing, even though we followed the Lord, even though we tried to be been faithful, what lessons could we still, should we be learning? What could God be saying to you? I don't know, but let me pose some things, okay? Is God still speaking to you to trust with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding with your finances? You know it, but you've hesitated. You've panicked. You, you've had those moments where you cast your care upon him and then you take it back. There's still room for growth. God still wants to use you, but he wants you to overcome the flaws, to be obedient, to without hesitation do what he says. There are some individuals, for instance, who say, I've been saved all these years, but they still hesitate to show their allegiance the way Jesus said, show your allegiance. Get baptized. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're at a point where, come on, learn, grow. God wants to use you, but you've got to stop hesitating. Maybe, maybe you're an individual that you're still, God's dealing and saying, come on, prayer. Come on, prayer. You know about it. Maybe it's, maybe it's you, you have yet to really forgive that person that's hurt you. And God says, move it. Get to this point where you're doing it without hesitation. Putting off ungodly speech, respect for authorities, devotion to your spouse, where you're going to work at that marriage, using your spiritual gift in the church. Maybe it's something so simple as trusting God to really change that person's heart. Trusting God to help you to overcome your besetting sin. And not staying flawed. Putting your own limitations upon God. God uses people who are faithful, they're flawed, but they're faithful. God uses people who are growing. They are learning. They are saying, I'm going to come to the point where I'm obeying without hesitation. God uses people, ordinary people, who focus on the Lord even in the midst of their own celebration. It's interesting. You take the story. And here's Zacharias and Elizabeth. The day has come. The baby is born. And everybody gathers. It's a cool time. It's a fun time. They're celebrating Zachariah and Elizabeth. This is just an amazing thing that that is like wow you know we're parents at eighty years of age, God bless them, okay. <laughs> but they, but understand the setting. I mean, this is. Can you imagine the excitement of the relatives, of the of the you know of all the people gathering together? And it's all about wow you you folk are so blessed. And then, and then on top of it, within that time that everybody's gathered, what happens? Nine months of deafness and muteness disappear. Whoa! Wouldn't you be excited if you were Zachariah and Elizabeth? Well, at least Zachariah, okay? Wouldn't you be through that God just removed this burden, this handicap? And after the last nine months of being imprisoned... In my own mind and body to a great degree, it's gone. This is just so exciting. And everybody should slap him on the back and cheer and just be excited for this couple. And they're the center of attention. And what does Zechariah do? Verse 67. His father Zechariah is filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. His very first reaction is what we call the benedictus. It is one of those few prayers that are given in scripture of praise. Benedictus coming from the Latin, blessed be. And his whole, look at it. Look at what he says. He is so enthused, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. He talks about God, not about, who. Oh, wow, look at us what we did as, as as parents. Look, God, look at what I just did. I just overcame muteness, deafness. His whole focus is give God the glory. Give God. God uses ordinary people who are still flawed, but they're learning, but they give God the glory. They don't keep it to themselves. And in this text, it's just such a challenge. There's a story that comes out of history about Peoples, even in the secular world, learning to give God the glory. You you do know that the fastest way of communication back in the first part of the 1800s was Pony Express, okay? It was, you know, ponies riding across from California to St. Louis, Missouri. They could do it in 10 days. And then it would take whatever length of time from St. Louis to using trains to get wherever else. And by the way, if you traveled simply by train from New York to California in those days, one month. You sent a letter one month. You sent a business gram one month. So Pony Pony Express, that was really woo. We're getting to where we're cutting a month off to maybe you know three weeks. Well, that affected people. For instance, Samuel Morse, who is famous for Morse code telegraph. Okay, he's by trade he's a painter. He's an artist. He's away doing painting and doing some type of of artwork. And he gets a message that his wife has delivered the third child and she's extremely ill. By the time he gets home, because of the delay in communication and travel, he gets there, she has been dead and buried for days. Within a year, the same thing happens with his mom and dad. So he is in grief. He meets with another individual who is in grief as well. And the other individual is a technician. And they start talking about the fact that communication is so slow, so slow, so slow. And so they start combining their thoughts together, and they collaborate. And Morris goes back to his artwork, but he's tinkering in the evening, and he develops what we know as, you know, the Morse code with the telegraph. And so when it's the first time that they're going to send a message by telegraph, it's, do you remember where it's from? All the way from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore. <laughs> they sent it. Did, did any of you remember what the first line was, what he said? Okay. He says what God hath wrought. His first, in, in in an achievement. I don't think this is modern. Modern inventors wouldn't think this way anymore. But right away it was, this is amazing. This is, am-. and it would be amazing. You know, to you and I, we look back and go, oh yeah, great. We can text around the world. <laughs> yeah. But that was an amazing thing that God, they gave God the glory for. And, and I stop and say, as silly as it sounds, what events in your life should you pause and give God glory for? What kind of things would it be like the day you become a parent? You should not only be praying, okay? Because now you have that little body to take care of. You should be giving God the glory. It, the, the day that you get a promotion, you get the job. Make sure you give God the glory. I, I tell this when I, when I get together and talk about people, like we have a wedding this Saturday. Zach's going to get married this Saturday, and, and in the past we've talked about make sure on your wedding day, make sure you give God glory. If you're starting a Christian home, don't start without God, even on the wedding day. But in America, whose day is it? Come on, you're an American. What have what you, you been told about weddings? It's whose day? Yeah, yeah. The day you graduate. The day you get a good grade at school. Your birthday. The day you retire. Give God glory. And I'm not saying this to be silly, but seriously, purpose and create a pattern in your life where you're looking for moments to give God the glory. Because when we people give God the glory, it keeps us humble. And God uses humble people. So you look at the story and say, okay, God uses faithful people. Not perfect, but faithful. God uses people who learn to follow his word. God uses people who, even in the midst of their own success and celebration, they're giving God the glory. Let me wrap up with this. God uses people who deliver the gospel message about an extraordinary Christ. You read through this and watch how he talks about Jesus. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. "...through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the new dawning, the day spring from on high, hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." Remember, Zacharias is talking to people who are in darkness. They are discouraged. They are overrun. They are being tyrannically put down. They are finding no help, no hope. There's not much light at the end of the tunnel for them. They are steeped in religious traditions and if they don't do what their preachers say, they get whacked spiritually. It's just a miserable time. And when something exciting happens, they're confused. Fear comes flooding the land that this happened with this. Zachariah at the temple and he's deaf and dumb and then he speaks months later and the baby is in it. It's like, oh, we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand what God is doing you know how people right now i don't understand what's going on in my life covid is here every day is a new challenge oh my you know what's the lord doing and, and here's the message that's given the message is given that focuses on jesus christ and he describes christ with simple words he says he redeems he frees people from a prison a slave system of tradition of of uh, being overcome by their sin. He's one who says that the horn of salvation, it's an Old Testament word. Old Testament means the horn of salvation is the idea of somebody who is militarily strong enough to rescue you. It's the Calvary coming over the mountain. He's describing Jesus Christ that when it all seems forlorn and there's no hope, here comes Jesus. Here he comes. He's going to rescue us. He talks about Jesus being the one who is of the house of David, makes it very clear, son. You're of the tribe of Levi. I'm talking about the one coming from the house of David. This, this one is, you're going to tell us about. He is one that our prophets have been telling us about. For generations and generations he's been predicted. You go to the Old Testament, folk. You're Bible students. You should know that in the Old Testament there's hundreds of prophecies, over 300, about Jesus Christ. You go to Isaiah alone. There's dozens of prophecies. That they've been predicting about the Messiah and Jesus. And Jesus fulfills all of them 100% perfectly. And then he's talking about this Jesus who's making it possible for us to live in righteousness and holiness all our days of our existence. Jesus is opening up heaven. This Jesus is allowing them to go into the kingdom where there's righteousness and holiness. He makes it clear, he says, this Jesus is the highest. This Jesus is the one who's giving remission of sin. That idea of canceling your debts, forgiveness. This Jesus is the day spring, the new, the new, the, the new sun, the new era, the beginning of a new light. You know what's interesting? He uses this term dayspring. I'm going to take you back 400 years. Four hundred years earlier, the last message that came by the prophet, but unto you that fear my name shall the sun, the new dawning of righteousness, arise with healing in his wings. And here's Zacharias. 400 years later saying this one who's going to be coming right after you my son John this is going to be the one with the new dawning the new hope, the new blessings the one that's going to bring peace to this world peace between us and God peace with one another peace where where we're going to have a kingdom eventually it's going to be perfect peace and justice and righteousness he's excited he's thrilled by what this Christ represents he can't help but talk about him can I ask you a question do you have this peace that Zacharias is talking about? Do you have this assurance that your sins are remitted, they're forgiven? Do you know that one day you're, you could be in heaven? Do you know for sure if you will be there where there's holiness and righteousness all the days of your existence? Do you have that hope? Do you have that confidence? Do you know for sure? It's all bound up in Jesus Christ. It's not about a church. It's not about your baptism. It's not about your good looks and your good works. It's not about being nice at Christmas, you know, at least at Christmas. It's about what have you done with Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. There is no other name. You, you don't get to heaven by being Baptist. You don't get to heaven by being Methodist or Catholic. You don't get to heaven through your mom's name or your dad's name or your family name. There's only one person you get to heaven through and that's Jesus Christ. And here Zacharias says, he understands it. He knows this and he says, I can't help but the first thing out of my mouth is to talk about the most important thing in all of my life. The thing that's going to give me eternal life, Jesus Christ, the promised one. God uses people like that. God uses people who have that assurance, that excitement, that confidence. And by the way, if you're listening to me or you're here this morning and you doubt whether you have that that confidence of going to heaven, then when we wrap up, please come and seek us out. We'll show you from the Bible how you can be absolutely sure. Please call us. Contact our church office. Contact the the believers that you know that might be involved in this church. Find out how you can know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Anyway, the story comes to a conclusion, and here we go. we got God saying to us, if we're faithful, don't have to be flawless, but faithful, he'll use us. If we continue to learn, if we're individuals who give God the glory in the midst of even the good, the bad times, if we give out the message, God will use us. Isn't that a a wonderful thought? Oh, I'm so excited that you're excited. Okay? (laughs) I mean, think about it. God can use you this week. God can use you to do extraordinary things if you are willing to follow him. Okay. So I was surprised this week when this stuff came blowing through the lot. In fact, there was one blowing out there this morning. Okay? I hope I'm excited this week. By seeing some of you being used of God. Being moved by the Spirit. And see how God can surprise you the way he's going to use you this week. As you just dedicate to him. Father, thank you for these folk. Thank you for their attentiveness. Thank you for this hope that we have. This hope that tells us that all of a sudden we are able to be following you, serving you to the best of our abilities. You're going to use us. And if there's anyone here or listening who does not know, for sure they're on their way to heaven, I pray, please. Please, dear Father, please help them to seek out, to make sure they know where, how they can have eternal life. To seek out someone here to learn from the word. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope that this week we can be surprised. This week, we're going to see you answer prayers. We're going to see some really neat things. Thank you. Thank you for what you shared this morning. Thank you for what you're going to share this evening as we look at the other woman of this text. And bless our hearts through it, we pray in Christ's name.